0: Unfortunately, we won't see him tonight. Let's see if he is a little bit more MIA than James Harden was up until yesterday. <laughs> I don't know if that's possible, even with you're not playing. It's Carlin along with Canty. Canty and Carlin, as you know it, on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Series XM, Channel 80. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. We've got so, so much to get to, including the MVP and why that was a massive, massive miscalculation by the voters we get to that in just a little bit but we begin with the 76ers and their tremendous tremendous come from behind effort to find themselves tied up at two with the miami heat it's time for straight talk brought to you by straight talk wireless and listen chris i hope you had an awesome weekend it's great to see you and i'm sorry that was nice to see from james harden Color me skeptical that we're going to continue to see that from James Harden.
1: I don't understand why you want to look at this thing as glass half empty for the Sixers. Just be glad that James Harden decided to show up to the series and decided to have some resemblance to the James Harden that we saw winning MVPs in Houston. Because that's what we got yesterday. I mean, Joel Embiid got the party started. He was the one that set the tone, not only in Game 3, but in Game 4, which last night he had 15 points in the first quarter on his way to 24. Like, Joel Embiid got the party started. James Harden closed the show. This had to be what Doc Rivers and Daryl Morey envisioned when they made that trade for Ben Simmons, being able to get a player that had the potential to close. If you look at how the Miami Heat defended the Sixers offense in the half court yesterday in the fourth quarter, it was double teams on Joel Embiid. Yeah. Whether he was at the, the the high block or these low posts, it didn't matter. High post, low post, top of the key. They were not going to let him get the ball. They had somebody fronting him. They had somebody behind him. So that creates a lot of space for everybody else that's on the court, including James Harden, and he took full advantage of it yesterday, not only scoring six. not only was it just him scoring the 16 points, but it's how he did it, Carlin. You saw some of the step back threes, but then you also saw him getting to the rim and yep. finishing at the rim like that that to me is going to be big because that's been a question about whether or not James Harden could do that and so we finally see him have that ability to get past the primary defender and get into the painted area. The only difference is between games one and two and games three and four is that there usually is help camped out in the paint. There was no help because everybody's looking at Joel Embiid. And mm-hmm. so I think that's the biggest difference for the complexion of this series moving forward. And that's why I think we have the potential to see another offensive outburst from James Harden. Look, I think you're, all your points are true,
0: salient. Really sure. <laughs> it's just I have no faith that we're gonna see consistency here. Sure. That's that's my issue. It's there's no doubt the effect that a beat has on everybody else once he's back on the floor. And I absolutely love watching him play because of his impact on all over the place Uh on the floor. And you see that in the fourth quarter. And that is the sole reason that you found James Harden in those kind of circumstances where he could be that effective again. Because, yes, there were a couple of times where there are guys out on him and he's hitting some shots, but that was a classic I'm-in-the-zone-tonight kind of moment. That was, you know, I saw so many Sixers fans who were getting bent out of shape at the notion that People are saying, turn back the clock. They hated that phrase. Turn back the clock. This is who he is. No, it's not. It's not who he is anymore. And, Chris, I want to have some sort of evidence to suggest that we're going to see more of this guy. I'm going based on history. I'm going based on recent fact. Mm -hmm. We have thrown this stat out there quite a bit. This is the first time in 13 playoff games he's had more than 25 points in a game. Mm -hmm. He... Is driving, as you pointed out. But when did he drive? When nobody's in the lane. Yeah. When nobody's in the lane. That's fine. That's fine. There's there's an opportunity for James Harden, with Joel Embiid on the floor, to continue to play like this. I don't trust him to do it. I don't trust him to continue to be consistent.
1: And I can understand why you wouldn't trust him because we've seen a relatively large sample size of Harden in Philadelphia. We also saw a first year, point we also a saw year of him in Brooklyn, and we yep. really didn't get these types of performances. So I can understand it. It's been a couple of years since you've seen that version of James Harden being able to close out a game, high leverage situation where the stakes are the greatest. And so I understand your skepticism. All I'm simply acknowledging is the Miami Heat have a problem. Oh, they have a big problem. From a personnel standpoint, they just don't have the guys to match up to MB. You're talking about a seven foot one monster, a guy that's a unicorn. And I'm sorry, Bam Adebayo is the best big that you can throw at him. You you just don't have enough. Bam Adebayo is too small. I said coming into this series, that was going to be a problem for the Miami Heat. And I would contend that that is going to be the biggest issue for them in terms of trying to find a way to navigate around it. Because I don't think they can, and then you couple that with the fact that you're probably going to be without Kyle Lowry in Game Five, going back to Miami. That's kicking the pants. Who re-injured his hamstring? Yep. So for a guy that sets the table, that sets the tone, and most importantly, sets the pace in terms of them being able to get up and down the court, I just I don't see a world where the Miami Heat can dictate the flow of the game. And if they can't, that's going to be a problem for them.
0: Cantia Carl on ESPN Radio, if if the Sixers are to win this series, it's going to be a heck of a lot more about Embiid than anything else. We, we both know this. But it's not going to be about, as a secondary option, Harden. Do you believe for a moment that the rest of the way here, if the Sixers win this series, that aside from Embiid, Harden will be the biggest factor? I think that's my point already. Because it's not a given. It's not a given. For me, the biggest factor here moving forward for the Sixers is going to be Tyrese Maxey if they do. I think that's going to be a big part of it, and I think it's actually going to be some other guys
1: hitting some shots for a nice little change of pace. Well, see, to me, that's the best part of it, right? I mean, we sit here and talk about James Harden, and we're focusing on the scoring, and rightfully so, after what he did on Game 4. But I think you also have to look at what happened in Game 3 where he was plus 27 in 37 minutes played, and he only scored, what, 17 points? So, I mean, you have to acknowledge that James Harden can impact the game in ways other than scoring. And when he's setting up Danny Green, who went 7-9 from three-point land in game three, or Tyrese Maxey, who went 5-6 from three-point land in game three, I think those are also – contributions that you have to acknowledge. Okay, James Harden is capable uh, okay, of doing but, this. But he was if setting guys he, up before. They just weren't knocking down shots. Well, I, well, well. here's the other thing. Those shots were more closely contested because you didn't have to account for Joel Embiid with two defenders. You didn't have to have a guy hedge yep. off of his guy in addition to having somebody as the primary on Embiid. But now that you're having to account for four other players on the court with three, three-and-a-half defenders, the Miami Heat all of a sudden have a my math problem. Yeah, like that's the issue. And so those guys, while they weren't knocking down shots in the first couple of games, they started knocking down shots in games three and four, Carlin. That's why you see the biggest difference in the percentages from the field for the Sixers. In games one and two, the Sixers shot 44% from the field, Carlin, and they shot 21% from three, games one and two. In games three and four, they shot 51% from the field, And 48% from three. Carlin, they had 16 three-point makes in both wins. Mm -hmm. That's the impact of Joel Embiid. He opens up the court for everybody. But the difference is James Harden can find those guys when the court does open up. He can get those, those guys the ball right into the pocket so they can go straight up with the shot, catch and shoot opportunities, and they are maximizing those.
0: His ability to find guys open has never been my concern because he was doing it, as we just established, they were not hitting shots because there was a lot more defensive attention to them. Sure. But for Harden, to me, to be a bigger difference in this series, it's got to be about scoring more. Here he is after the game on what changed in the series uh, headed to Game 5 at this point.
2: We're, we're getting more confident, you know, as the series goes on. You know what I mean? Like, those first two games was, was a blur. Um, but obviously
0: having Joe and having our... Our, our full team, um, you know, we kind of know what to expect. We know where to execute you know, on both ends of the ball. Um, you know, it just makes the job a lot easier. You know, think about it, We're still a fairly new team. You know what I mean? We're down to two months in. So, no, no, um, no, no. you know, no, we no. finally catch a rhythm and finally, finally find something that works. You know, Joe goes out for a couple games. So um, we're finally settling into the series, and uh, we found some great things that will work tonight and that we can, you know, capitalize on from game five. I don't want to hear about that. We're still a fairly new team. The difference between now or er, between the first two games and the second two games and why the series is tied up is Joel Embiid, period. It's not confidence. It's not everything else. Joel Embiid breeds the confidence because he is a star player who should be the MVP of the league.
1: No question about it. It's the phantom of the process, right? Yep. Mask on, game on. And that's exactly what it was in games three and four. Now I'm interested to see how their game that they showed in the the games in Philly how that travels when they go back down to South Beach. Well, because, have, because I have no doubt that some of the success, some of the productivity that they had, especially with shooting the basketball, yeah. has to be the friendly bounce of the home rims. So, so can you take that down to American Airlines Arena in ball and do that same thing? Speaking of the MVP, the MVP
0: voters have spoken. So have they gotten this one right? We'll get to that in a moment. But first, a word from Vivid Seats. The NFL schedule comes out this week you can be there to catch all the action in person with vivid seats every power run every hail mary every touchdown celebration can be experienced live and with vivid seats rewards you can earn free tickets from your very first purchase Buy 10 tickets get the 11th one free that's like getting 10 percent back on every ticket from the 50 yard line to the end zone vivid seats has you covered with tickets at great prices. Just visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Life happens live.
3: Nuggets center Nikola Jokic has been voted the NBA's most valuable player for a second consecutive season. I think also Embiid's willingness
2: to speak out about wanting the award, I think may tilt things in a different
3: way. For my basketball eye test, I will give it to Joel Embiid. For my analytics test, I will give it to Jokic.
0: and Carlin, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Our first chat was presented by Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Jokic wins the MVP, and I feel empty. I feel I feel dead inside. I feel nothing. I feel nothing special as Woads broke the story this morning that this week he would be named the MVP. And this is now back-to-back MVPs. And, Chris, it's, it's great. He puts up fantastic numbers. There is no doubting what he means to the Denver Nuggets, but there is also no doubting that he has not really been able to bring them anywhere significant as of yet. And I have a real problem when it comes to MVP voting, really in any sport, but especially in the NBA, because I am always of the opinion that the MVP is the guy that is most valuable to his team's success And that is not Nikola Jokic this year.
1: Yeah, because the team success part is missing, Carlin, and that's the most frustrating thing about it. I I mean, when you looked at the three finalists for MVP, it was Giannis, it was Joel, and it was Jokic. Two of the three were on championship contenders, and we knew that for the majority, if not all of the season, those teams would be contenders. Never once did we look at the Denver Nuggets and say, that team's going places. The only place that they were going was an early exit from the playoffs, which is typical from the Denver Nuggets. That's usually what we see from that team. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, there were some circumstances where you realized they were playing shorthanded. They didn't have Jamal Murray. They didn't have Michael Porter Jr. Okay, that's all well and good. Hence the MVP discussion. That, that's that, that's all <laughs> well and good. But I get tired of us anointing these players because, oh, well, he doesn't have really a supporting cash and he's got all of these numbers, all of these efficiency ratings and analytics. I mean, listen, if we want to give out a PER award or we want to give out an analytics award, most outstanding analytic accomplishments, congratulations. We'll give it to Jokic every what, single you year. You you a pocket protector for well, that? Exactly. We'll, we'll, we'll do that every year. But when it comes to the, the impact on your team being able to win and win at a high level – I don't know how you can make the argument of Jokic over Embiid. When you look at all of the things that Embiid has had to overcome, first of all, the whole Ben Simmons drama in Philadelphia, they came into the season with that baggage, okay? Being at a deficit with your head coaching spot, considering the other coaches in the Eastern Conference. Okay, that's something you got to overcome. The injury situation, you were out a couple of weeks. You had to overcome that and get back to playing at an MVP level to make sure that your team didn't lose ground in the standings. You overcame that, and right now your team was down 0-2. You jumped into the playoff scene on round two, and guess what happened? All of a sudden, your team won two straight games, and now we're talking about a best-of-three series against the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. If this series doesn't show you how good Joel Embiid is, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're watching. You don't know basketball. And for the voters to cast their ballots for Jokic over Embiid, Knowing that he was the first big man since Shaquille O'Neal to lead the league in scoring, I'm sorry, they just missed the mark. My problem with the voters is always pretty simple. It's clear when you
0: go down the list that some guys just don't watch the entire league. They they watch their conference or they watch their division, mm. and they make their, they make their choices up uh, according to that. And that's, that's an issue for me.
1: Okay. I know I only said two things. I got two more things, Carla. And I know it's a regular season award. But I also look at what you do against the best players in the world, the best teams in the world. And that usually happens in the playoffs. Never once did I look at that Nuggets Nuggets Warriors series and say to myself, Jokic had a positive impact defensively on that series. He's getting switched out at times. They they were putting him in the pick and roll action intentionally, so they could take advantage of him. Steph Curry and Jordan Poole were putting that dude in a blender. There were times in games where he is taken out for defensive reasons. Carlin, I can make the argument that Embiid's impact in this Heat series is more felt on the defensive end for the Sixers than it was on the offensive end, as great as Embiid was offensively in yesterday's Game 4. It's no mystery that all of a sudden they can't find somebody else who can score besides Jimmy Butler. Yeah, it's no mystery that the Miami Heat in games 3-4 and shot 37% from the field and 21% from three. That's not a mystery. That's Embiid being one of the best, if not the best, rim protector in the entire game. So there's that part of it. Here's the other part that I have a problem with, Carlin, because when you start winning back-to-back MVPs, that puts you in rare air. Because of Jokic winning it today, you're talking about 13 men in the history of the NBA that have won back to back MVPs. Let me rattle off the name seat. Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul Jabbar, Moses Malone, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Tim Duncan, Steve Nash, LeBron James, Steph Curry, Yadis, and then of course Jokic. Outside of Steve Nash, tell tell me, tell me. Tell me the guys, tell me the class of player that Jokic, does Jokic even fit into the class of players, the other guys that have won back-to-back MVPs? Does he even belong in that conversation? When we start talking about the Bill Russells in the Will Chamberlains and the Michael Jordans in the Tim Duncan. does he even belong in that class of player? No. No. What
0: are we, so what are we talking about? Does They're he, not looking at it like that. They're looking at the numbers, and I hate it. And I hate it. They're looking at the numbers. Oh, 27 and 14 and what,
1: 8? Oh, uh, he must be. He's got to be the guy. Nobody does that. It's like if you're doing that SAT and they say, which one does not belong? Exactly. Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Wilt Chamberlain, and Nikola Jokic. Which one Stop does not it. belong? Chris, <laughs> my biggest issue
0: really comes from the idea of voting for the MVP as a regular season award. I think it needs to be a total season award. Award. I don't think it should be voted for until after the postseason is over, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that after the bubble, maybe you'd vote for Tyler Hero. No, you wouldn't have, because that's when he emerged. But what I am saying is that you get players who show up at their best against the best, as you pointed out earlier, and I want to see what guys do in totality, and so... Ten times over the last 20 years, ten times over the last 20 years, a number one seed has won the championship. Mm. Only three of them has had the MVP. I mean, think about that for a second. That, that's loco. Curry, LeBron, Duncan... Just four MVPs in the last 20, cha- 20 years have won championships, period, mm. of any of any seed. The, what, what bothers me about this is it's not even winning championships. It's getting opportunities to get to the finals. It's going far to the Western Conference finals. I can show you a chapter in first when guys are out in the first and second second seed. It happens almost as much as it does for guys getting to the finals. And I want the best players who mean the most to their team's success, like Joel Embiid. I mean, in just these four games, it's everything. Just look at it to win that award. I don't want a guy that I have absolutely no vision for winning a championship to ever take home the MVP award.
1: It's not right. It's not right. No, Embiid got robbed, and I think the playoffs are bearing that out, even though it's a regular season award. I know we... We're up against it, but there has got to be a conversation about what's going on and what the voters bake into the MVP conversation because it's clear that it's analytically driven. And the numbers tell part of the story, but they don't tell the entire story, big fella. And
0: plenty of people are ticked off about it. And we're going to hear from you in moments at 888-SAY-ESPN. It's the CC call-in line, 888-729-3776. Did Embiid get hosed? That's simple. That's your question. (laughs) Did Joel Embiid get hosed, or is Jokic the MVP? 888-SAY-ESPN. Canty Carlin on ESPN Radio, we are just getting started on a jam-packed show today we are presented by progressive insurance we will get into this with you next and what about the mvp voters where do they come in in all of this because all of a sudden
2: you can't seem to find anybody that voted for Jokic. somebody certainly did canty and carlin espn radio Some people are ticked off, and I get it. You should be. 888-SAY-ESPN, eight 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 seven two nine
0: three seven seven six 729 and Carlin, ESPN Radio, Sirius XM Channel 80, your smart speaker. Play ESPN Radio Network, where, by the way, the NBA playoffs live tonight. Tune in. Warriors hosting the Grizzlies, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins 9.30 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. So the MVP has been decided, as we heard from Woj this morning. It'll be officially announced later this week as Nikola Jokic from the Nuggets. Once again, the voters screwed it up. Let's get to the calls. 888-SAY-ESPN. Colton in Arizona will start us off on Canty and Carlin ESPN Radio. Colton, what's up, bud? Hey, guys. Uh, big fan of the show. I have a couple of issues with a couple of your points. Um, so one of them was you said winning uh, was something that should be a factor. You never looked at the Nuggets once this year and said, yeah, you know, they're in the title contention. Well, if you put uh, Joel Embiid on the
2: Nuggets – and you switch those roles and put Nikola Jokic on the 76ers, Are the Nuggets a better team with Joel Embiid?
1: No. Colton, you can't no, prove. I, a I hy- Colton,
2: so Colton, you can't prove a hypothetical.
1: That's great. It sounds good, but we can never prove that. So but, give me, give me something else. But
2: yes, <laughs> give me okay, something but, else. And then you say you don't want to look at numbers. N- Nikola Jokic has put up numbers that no one else did this year. I, whether you want to ignore them or not, two thousand points, thousand rebounds, five hundred assists—it's never been done. No big deal, but you know if you don't want to look at the numbers. That's just never been done before. Okay. And he
0: can sit at home and count them up on his fingers and toes because that that's what it boils down to right now. It, it's not about who the best overall player is or who put up the best numbers, as Chris was talking about. You want an efficiency rating award? Take it home.
1: Enjoy. That's, Enjoy. That's my whole point. Like, if that's what we're going to boil this all down to, then all well and good. I mean, if you want to start talking about the assists, the points, the rebounds, okay, great. But there's more to basketball than just that. There's the impact on the other guys on the court. There's the impact on your team winning. And I get that these analytics and win share is supposed to try to encapsulate all of it. But, Carlin, you know it doesn't. I mean, the, the comparison would be a quarterback rating or a QBR rating. That's great. You can have a great QBR. You can have a great passer rating, but that doesn't mean that you're the best quarterback. You know who had a pretty good QBR this year? Carson Wentz. Exactly. That's my whole point. He had a top 10 QBR. (laughs) Is Carson Wentz a top 10 quarterback? No. Hell no. And that's the whole point that we're trying to make, and that's what people have to see. Buddha in the Bronx
2: is up next. Buddha, you're on ESPN Radio. What's up, brother? Hey, Cat Daddy and Canty, my guys, Listen. You know, I'm a, you know cat daddy. I'm one of the biggest Sixers fans you find around these parts from the mm-hmm. old days when Doc came over in seventy-six. Now listen here. He got holes. We all know he got holes. You know, it is what it is with that. A lot of times these are popularity contests and like you said, it's based on, you know, where you're voting from and what games you watch, yada, yada, yada. But all of these points is moved because listen, I'd rather you get to the conference finals, you get the MVP of the conference finals. I'd rather you get to the NBA Finals and be the MVP. This is a watershed moment for Embiid, for Doc, for the whole team. And um, this one guy that is really flying under the radar, when I hear everybody talking about what's going to get him over the hump, it's not Harden, it's not Maxi, it's not even Embiid. It's Tobias Harris. Dude, you six foot eight, you got the perfect body as a three, and you go 24 points one night, 20 points the next, then you get eight points. Like, that's what we can't have. Yeah. If we could get a consistent 18 from him, then that makes us a real contender.
0: Which you should be getting, and you're not, Buddha. Thanks for the call. But Tobias Harris has has just been an enigma all season long. There's no getting
1: around But that. he gave him a chance in the first couple of games. Yes, he did. Because he balled. Yes, Tobias, he did. I think he had 24 one game, 27 the other game. Yes, so he did. So Tobias Harris has been playing solid. Matter of fact, he's been playing his best ball as a sixer in these playoffs. But let's agree that he can disappoint disappear at any moment. Yeah, he can disappear, but if he's disappearing and James Harden is dropping 31 or Tyrese yeah. Maxey is going five or six from three or Danny Green did what he did on Friday night, I'm okay with Tobias Harris being an afterthought.
0: Do you subscribe at all to the theory that I have or to the belief that I have that Maybe the voting for MVP should be moved until after the finals. I'm not saying you have to win a championship Mm. or even make it to the finals, but I would like that playoff piece of work to be part of the evaluation.
1: Uh, I get where you're coming from, and I'm not going to completely dismiss the idea. The one thing that I would say to push back on it is, for the majority of this season, we felt like Joel would be the MVP. Mm Mm-hmm. I still feel like Joel is the MVP. i it's just not, like the playoffs to confirm it. No, sure, and I get that, but that's all that's happening now. The playoffs are just confirming what we already knew. So it's not like we needed a whole bunch of new information to make the determination well, that apparently Joel Well, Embi- we did because we're sitting here and Jokic is the MVP. Well, see, that's the problem I have because I don't know what the criteria is. And nobody can narrow that down. Nobody can specify that. And it might be different things for different voters. They might view it in different ways. That's my biggest problem with the award. We don't know what the hell we're voting for. Is it the most outstanding player? Is it the most valuable player? Because those two things are not always the same. Is it the guy that puts together the best analytical season? Is it the guy that has the biggest impact on his teammates and his team winning games? Like All of those things are not necessarily things that align perfectly with every single case. And that's the problem that I have with having this debate with Embiid and Jokic because it's clear that the voters are waiting something different than what the casual fan that's checking in on basketball games is waiting.
0: Canty and Carlin, Justin in Denver is up next. I wonder what he could think. Justin, what's going on?
2: Hey, so I'm a Laker fan in Denver, and I could really give two you know whats about the Nuggets. <laughs> I, wake up, I wake up every morning and look at the numbers for the Joker, and they're insane. And you can't tell me that Joel Embiid, who doesn't even play a full season and the Joker does at the altitude, can win MVP. I mean, the guy carries the Nuggets. The Nuggets have nobody at all. And trust me, this hurts me to say it because I can't stand the Nuggets. But – I mean, just because his name isn't Bird Magic or Michael, that doesn't mean anything.
0: That has nothing to do with it. It has more to do with the fact that their team is sitting at home right now. His numbers are great. Again, most outstanding player, fine, give it to him. That's great. Most valuable player? No, I'll pass. And if we're going to kill Embiid on not playing... No, 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 we can't do that. We can't can't, do that. No, no, no,
1: no, here's the thing, Carlos. That's
0: that's my point. He played 68 games this year. And the
1: Joker played 74. So what are we talking about? Exactly.
0: What what are we saying? Embiid did not play 40 games this year. That's my point. If you're going to kill him on that, you're wrong to do it. You're thinking about the Embiid that would routinely miss 30 games a few years ago.
1: That's the problem. I, I, I don't understand it. I, I don't understand it. And I see we got Frank and Christian and Ken on the CC call-in line. We're going to get to those guys in a second, Carlin. But uh, coming up next, aside from playing at home, how was Dallas able to tie
2: this series up? Carlin and I will have the answer for you. You're listening to ESPN Radio back after this. roll on with those who are upset with Embiid getting hosed and those who are happy
0: Embiid got the or rather Jokic got the MVP Canty and Carlin Frank in Los Angeles is next on ESPN Radio Frank what do you got
2: hey what's up boss hey, uh, I'm a first-time caller but you know I've been listening to you guys as of last week and I just want to tell you guys I appreciate you guys and you know I, I like you I like the way you guys handle your guys' show you know it's really good <laughs> appreciate that but yeah but my question yeah but my question is that you know like you guys want to talk about numbers and all that with joker you know yeah like i hate to say it too as well too like i agree like you know with the whole like joker shouldn't win it you know which is unfortunate too for Embiid. but like as well too you know i feel like they disnub a little bit of Embiid, you know i get I guess the whole, like, controversial thing of, like, the whole, like, 68 games, 74 games, you know? But if you're going to talk about MVP, you know, and who's, like, MVP caliber, you know, it's Embiid. He's guarding number one, the number one player of every team day in and day out. And Joker unfortunately, is not that guy. He's not guarding the number one player every game. So how can you claim that he's an MVP caliber? My, my biggest and, like, thing here, we don't
0: hit it enough that Jokic defensively is a liability. No
2: doubt. It's a liability. And,
1: and, and Carlin, when we have the MVP conversation, you're the most valuable player. When I look at Jokic's situation and what the Nuggets did this season, you're the most valuable player to what? Yeah. Of what? Like, what is your team? The sixth best team in your conference? I, I I don't I don't I don't necessarily know that that's MVP worthy. And then when you put it in its proper context and say back to back MVPs. That's rare air. Jokic is not that kind of player. He's not that caliber of player. I'm sorry. I'm not going to give that to him. He's not going to be in that conversation with those other greats. If you want to compare him to Steve Nash because Steve Nash is on the list, great. But that's about the only name of all the other guys that have won back to back MVPs that Jokic could hold a candle to. Christian in Florida. You got 30 seconds, Christian. Go. I'll
2: go fast. Um, So, thanks for having me on. And I I think a lot of the callers touched on, you know, pretty much what I wanted to say as far as like the 2K, 1K, and 500, and then like the supporting cast deal. I think the voters of the MVP, they'll just want to see like first ever. So, it was the first ever for Jokers to get the 2K, 1K, 500. Um, and what you were saying about him being a liability on defense, I don't think necessarily he is all the time. It's just against the Warriors, you can't match in up. Many and many, I, in a li- in many matchups. It's not just many, many against match-ups. the Warriors. It's not
1: just the Warriors. No, it's
0: not. In many, many matchups, he's a liability. And look, the 2K1K500, That I get it. That, that's great. I think sometimes we tend to overemphasize what specific numbers are, and that to me, even though special, eh, a little bit. It's about time. They got it all together. The Mavericks able to climb back in to the other series out west. Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio and on ESPN+. Plus. Yes, they went back home, and they were able to take advantage of that. But as Jason Kidd alluded to there and expands upon right here, for this time, it was not just about Luka Doncic. Here's the Mavericks head coach. (laughs)
2: yeah yeah um they're they're at the party i think um you know one of the the big things that we talked about on this journey is that we we understand lucas talent and how good he is but for us to be a team you know there's going to be times when other guys are going to have to make shots they're going to take the ball out of lucas hands and you saw that um this afternoon yeah
0: look you can point to other guys finally and they were a factor in this brunson became more of a factor in this, although still not at the level that you need him to be at overall. Mm -hmm. Dorian Finney-Smith hitting some big shots. And, look, for me, as long as you have other guys that they can't just say, go ahead, let him get his, and we'll shut everybody else out like they did in games one and two, as long as you have the other guys capable of making shots and it's not just a role player going to play well at home and not well on the road thing, the Mavericks have a chance, I still think the better team is the Suns.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think the Suns are the better team, but oftentimes in the playoffs, we see the best player be able to drag his team past a team that might be superior from a talent standpoint, top to bottom. And I think there has the potential in this series for that to happen because Luka Doncic is the best player on the court. Yes. There is no debating that. Now, the Suns might have the next three or four best players on the court, but when you have Luka – playing the way that he did last night, and playing the way that he did in game three, being able to facilitate other guys, getting them involved, I think that's much more of a threat to the Phoenix Suns because those other shot makers start to get into a rhythm, start to get more confidence, and that's when it snowballs, Carl. And that's when you get a Dorian Finney-Smith doing what he did. That's when you get guys like Maxie Kleber knocking down shots. Davis Bertans was (laughs) 4-6 from three-point land yesterday. That makes a difference. And then we touched on Jalen Brunson. And he hasn't played well this series, but he did drop 28 in game three on Friday night. And yesterday, he was able to contribute 18 points, not to mention draw two critical fouls that led to Chris Paul fouling out with nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Can we talk
0: about that for a second? I really, I have to say, I was completely bothered by some of the fouls that were called against Paul. I really think that was garbage. Honestly. Yeah, the,
1: the one the one that got me was the loose ball foul right before halftime. His fourth personal foul when he's going up for a rebound and Lucas trying to get the offensive board, and they called him for his fourth foul. I Look, didn't I didn't understand that call because they were bo- they both have a right to try to go for the basketball, and then for Chris Paul to be in the game in that situation. Why, why? Monty Williams, I, I, as great a coach as he is, a, as much respect. Uh, and appreciation as he deserves for getting that program turned around. Why was Chris Paul in the game with one second to go before halftime where you have the potential to draw a foul, your fourth personal, knowing, knowing how important he is to that team? Made
0: zero sense. Zero. I had no idea why he was still on the floor. What bothers me, too, though, and I know that this probably isn't fair, but I am among the many, among the millions, who want to see the best players on the court at the end of the game and so when you've got five fouls on chris paul and you're an official and just because you see him pull his hands back which by the way chris didn't do himself any favors right there he looked real guilty it did. he did look real guilty, looked very guilty. <laughs> I, I still in that instance it was pretty clear that even though it had happened it had been such a small small foul that then I would not have rung him up at that point. They knew. I mean, there's nine minutes left in a
1: game? Nine minutes. Come on. Yeah, but you got to have more discretion if you're Chris Paul. It's a combination of both. You have to. Like, you understand how important you are to that team. And think about the big fourth quarters that we've seen Chris Paul have in the last couple of series. Like, that, it's important for him to be able to be out there to close the show for this team. Because even though Devin Booker is a high-volume scorer, Chris Paul is the closer for the Phoenix Suns. And if they don't have his shot-making ability, if they don't have his ability to be able to be a playmaker for the other guys, then where are they when they need a bucket when the defense ratchets up in the fourth quarter? Absolutely. And for Paul, uh, at this point, it is also very
0: clear that every three or four playoff games, he's going to throw up a stinker.
1: Yeah. That, that, that's, <laughs> we're starting
0: to see that. And you know he's going to come back, and he's going to have a couple of big games here down the stretch. Sure. But he's going to throw up a stinker about every four games. This, to me, has the feel of the series that every home team is going to win. Yeah. Going
1: seven, and the Suns will win in seven. I could absolutely see that being the case, although I will say Phoenix better watch out.